Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the Ordinary Hero Podcast. Um, this episode is from my grandpa's funeral. Um, Emily Ord gives tributes, gives her tributes. So I like this a lot. There was a, something that she mentioned that I loved is my grandpa would hitchhike um, from Cache Valley to um, Brigham City, which is a pretty pretty far distance when he was just a teenager, just for fun. He's like, oh, I'm, I guess I got all my chores done. I'm going to go hitchhike. And he'd just hitchhike and talk to people. So I love that. And I hope you guys enjoy this episode. Six Smith kids. When I describe my childhood to people, they always comment that it sounds quite idyllic. In fact, one friend said it sounded like I grew up in a Hallmark movie. Yes, it was a charmed childhood. Riding my banana-seated bike around Fox Farm Road and Thrushwood Road on hot summer days, heading to the island market for candy, climbing trees, and tubing down the Logan River. When the sun would set, I would hear a loud cowboy-style whistle. Then I'd hear, Emily, come home. That was Dad, and that meant I better book it. This was one of my many wonderful childhood memories I have of my dad. He had many phrases that I'd like to highlight as I take a few minutes to describe my childhood, adolescent years, and adulthood experiences with my dad. One of my favorite childhood memories was when he would tuck Ange and me into bed at night. Each night, he'd slowly and dramatically walk up the stairs and in a deep, thunderous voice would say, fee, fi, fo, bum, I smell the blood of an Englishman. And we'd squeal with excitement and a little fear and jumping into bed as we were already supposed to be in bed, settling down. Every night, we'd say, tell us a story from your childhood. My dad's stories were always so much more epic than any storybook. He told us how when he was little, he had fallen out of a barn, from a loft in a barn and broke his collarbone. Or he told us about one time how when he was a little boy, he was terrified of the dark and he would always turn off the lights before bed. He'd turn off the lights in his hallway, then he'd run and he'd jump onto his bed. Well, one day, his mom had rearranged his room without telling him. So he turned off the lights, ran, jumped, no bed, landing face, face down on the ground. Grandma had forgot to tell him that small detail. Um, oh, and he told about days when he used to hitchhike around as a teenager. These stories blew my mind. This was another world he was talking about. Two of my favorite stories that he told us about. Um, one of the stories was when he was coming home from his mission from um, South Africa, and he came home all by himself, and he traveled along the Afri African coast and explored all the little villages along the way. He just loved adventures. He never told his parents when he was arriving home in Logan, and he surprised his mom one day while she was walking down Main Street. My other favorite story was when he asked Ann Pocock to marry him on a second date, and she said yes. These stories were epic. Another phrase I heard often growing up was, get in there and get your nose bloody. This is what my dad would yell to me as a little girl during my soccer games. <laughs> to me, this simply meant be aggressive. But now I'm thinking back, I'm sure the other parents on the sidelines thought this was completely over the top and unnecessary. My father also protected family time. Dinner was at 6 o'clock p.m. The first rule was that you were to be home by 6 sharp. The second rule was that you ate what mom fixed, period. The 
The third rule was no answering phone calls or answering the front door. For 30 minutes, we would talk as a family. I remember as one of the little kids, I cherished this time as I had undivided attention from my older siblings and my parents. Some great dad quotes at dinner time were, taste and try before you cry, and eat those veggies, it'll put hair on your chest. You know, things that made total, complete sense to little girls. And why should not eat those veggies? As charmed as this childhood appeared, my dad did not shield us from the real world. Oftentimes, our dinner, our family dinner discussions revolved around world events or what was happening in the community. I learned that it was good to be a critical thinker. I learned that most issues were complicated and needed studying. I learned life wasn't fair, but that it was our moral obligation to lift and serve those around us. He would tell us that understanding the world was like a puzzle. Once you understood one event, you could then understand another event, and then you could piece things together. On Sundays, when sitting down to our nice Sunday meals with our widowed grandmothers over, Dad would often stop us and say, what would the world be like if every child was able to sit down to a dinner like this with a loving family? I would often roll my eyes as he had just put a big damper on completely enjoying our meal on the back patio overlooking the Logan River. What, now I had to remember, I had more than most people in the world Yep, my dad was always sobering us up to the realities of life. Then in the winter of 1989, my life got wrecked. My father and mother wanted to go outside of their community to share the gospel that had brought them so much joy. So when I was 12, my father was called as mission president of the Canada-Toronto Mission. I knew adventure, a new adventure seemed exciting, but going to a colder climate was unappealing. And what about leaving my friends? After all, I'd be leaving Logan during my 7th, 8th, and ninth grade school years. I talked with my dad about this, and he said, Well, think about all the new friends you'll meet from all over the world. This is an experience of a lifetime. And think of how hard it may be for the kids living in Toronto who make friends with the mission president's family just to have them leave every three years. He had a way of turning issues around. He said, Here's a goal for you. When you walk into a room of people, have the attitude of, oh, there you are, instead of, hey, here I am. For anyone who knows my dad, this was his attitude, attitude with everyone. He made everyone feel like a million bucks. And by the way, it was an experience of a lifetime. A distinct memory that I have was when I was 13 in Toronto. Paula Abdul was playing a concert in the city. This was a dilemma. She was only my favorite music artist of all time and I had never been to a concert before. I just had to go. However, my mom did not feel comfortable with driving in a new city late at night, so my dad, President Smith, stepped up. He let me invite a group of friends and off we went to the Paula Abdul concert. When we got there, he had encouraged us to get close to the stage, get as close as possible. Go on, girls. He was all, he was all in on us having a great, epic time. He hung back and watched us from a distance. That must have been quite the sight to see, seeing my dad, President Smith, in a sea of singing teenage girls. While in Toronto, I saw my dad give um, all he had to being a great mission president. He made sure all the missionaries knew he loved God and knew he loved them. 
I had the opportunity to hear him speak hundreds of times. Had he always been a wise old man? Had he always known so much about the gospel? This week I had the opportunity to put together the slideshow that was playing in the foyer. This, this gave me a great opportunity to look through hundreds of photos um, throughout his life. It turns out, no, he had not always been a wise old man. <laughs> in fact, he had always referred to his time spent on the island of Guam in the military as life-changing for him. He said this was when he found God. This was when he truly converted to the gospel. But doesn't this seem odd? He was in his early 20s, an age notorious for kids wanting to be free and independent from rules. And he was also in the military, which doesn't seem to be conducive to spirituality. However, my dad often said there was another soldier who had given him a Book of Mormon and my dad had taken it and studied it. The phrase I remember my dad saying often was, pay the price. One has to pay the price for their testimony. If my dad wanted to learn more about a gospel principle, he would not shy away from it. He would lean into the question. He wasn't afraid of the wrestle with God. In fact, I recall my dad studying the gospel principles all throughout my home life. My dad could often be found next to the fireplace engulfed in a, engulfed in a religious book on a specific subject. I will cherish this example of paying the price to have a firm testimony of Jesus Christ and the Heavenly Father. Because of his faith in gospel, in the gospel, our family has been blessed. Now my dad definitely was in a camp of tough love. I always knew I was loved and felt secure, but I was not coddled. My dad was more interested in making me resilient to the world over being a dainty flower. He often quoted his drill sergeant who, who would say, soldier, when it's too cold for everyone else, it's just right for me. My dad would say this to us, well, my dad would say this and then insert whatever problem we were complaining about, too hot, too rainy, whatever. One example of tough love was the summer after my freshman year of college. I had gotten a job in Brussels, Belgium, working as an au pair for the summer for a French-speaking family. When, I was, when it was time for me to catch my flight, he drove me to the airport. We discussed how to check my bags and walk through the gate. He hugged me, wished me well, and drove away. Now remember, this was in the 90s. I had no cell phone, was not with a group, had never flown by myself, and was headed to Europe to meet a family who didn't speak English. Uh, he said he wanted to leave me alone in the airport so I could figure it out on my own. Well, it turns out I made it to Europe just fine. I survived the summer adventures. He gave me the confidence that I could do hard things. It also turns out that life actually gets harder than traveling to Europe. <laughs> as an adult, I've had, I've had my shares of ups and downs, as does everyone. Each time I would be going through a particular struggle, infertility, unemployment, my dad would say, hey, this is what life's all about. There wasn't, yeah, you're really unlucky, or yeah, why is God punishing you? He would give me blessing after blessing to help me be strong enough to endure whatever the circumstance was. After our conversations and on all of my birthday cards, my dad would always end with the phrase, I'm so proud of you. This meant so much to me. This simple phrase cheered me on. Um, this re repeated phrase was the phrase I love to hear him say the most. In a more recent conversation with my dad, I began to tell my dad how disappointed I was in myself because I wasn't the fun-loving person I had been in my 20s. I continued to tell him how life had made me a bit more skeptical. Issues were so complex, and I had become more sober. 
He stopped me and said, congratulations. <laughs> You're a grown, mature person who's, who truly sees the world as it is. Your experiences, both bad and good, are making you a complete person. This is what life is supposed to do. Life is complicated, and only through the gospel principles can you truly feel peace. He finished by saying, I'm so proud of you. This time hearing the, the common phrase, I'm so proud of you, hit me differently. I broke down and cried. He continued to explain that enduring through life's ups and downs is really the goal. This was what I needed to hear from him. Well, Dad, today I am proud of you. You have endured it all. At the age of 84, you lived a full life, full of ups and downs, full of service to your family and fellow men, full of several illnesses that seemed to be relentless. You did it. You kept your faith and had unwavering love for your wife and children. I truly don't know what else you could have done to top it off. We love you. I love you. Can't wait to see you again. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.